This week, we're going to run through 10 things that will help you know when you're ready to buy. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. It takes so long to save a deposit that often we hear first home buyers wonder when they'll know when they're actually ready to buy. So to change from saving mode to searching mode, we thought we'd run through 10 things that you need to be comfortable with. And if you can answer yes to all 10, you're ready to start house hunting. But before we do that, what's your special house this week, Megan? This one um, has got me... Very curious. (laughs) This is actually somewhere in your backyard. Mm -hmm. This one is, for those of you who watch on YouTube, this is sitting on my shoulder. This entire house (laughs) is between my head and the end of my shoulder. It is the skinniest house on the water in Darling Point. So it is over five levels. It has a waterfront pool, amazing, and apparently it has spacious bedrooms. That was how I was advertised by the agent. It sold for a whopping $15.5 million in December 2021. It is so narrow. Look at that tiny bit of space that someone has subdivided off one of those properties that was sitting either side of it. It's about a bedroom wide. That's just to give you in some context. It's probably less than a quarter the width of all the neighbouring properties. I reckon even yeah. skinnier than that. It looks like oh, well somebody less, had. A- yeah, it looks like a driveway. Yeah, it looks like it's a driveway like- that's been converted into a house. And do you know Quite though cool. <laughs> that might have been what it was because you know over the years a lot of these old these old established areas on Sydney Harbour, Hunters Hills like this right where the really big expensive mansions on huge blocks of mm. land. Back in the sixties, there was a thing called death taxes. So if somebody inherited one of these massive big houses on the on the harbour, they often had to subdivide it to pay the death tax for the inheritance. And so you get these weird subdivisions. And I even, when I was a sales agent, once sold a house in um, Putney that was on the waterfront and it had some strangest subdivision. Basically they allowed, so the house was closer to the road than the water and they just kept basically like a driveway down to the water. And 
these people were so silly, though. They didn't actually make it wide enough to build on, not even a boat shed, whereas potentially the house behind could have subdivided some years ago, sold the lot in front, and then this was the skinny bit left over that gave them still some waterfront access, and maybe that's how this house got wedged and it does look like it's been wedged between <laughs> exactly two like mansions. A <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we can we can bang on about silly things like this all day long, all but we lot. won't. <laughs> but I love this is the stuff that makes me really excited. I, I love finding things like this and going, what were they thinking? It's so out there. <laughs> so we're gonna run through let's have a look at the 10 things, Veronica, that yes. you need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. So you need to know these things to know that you know enough to know that it's time to start searching. That's exactly right. So let's hit number one. Number one is I know how much money I need to cover the deposit and all purchasing costs. Can you answer that question? Yes or no? And and it's not even, and, and here's, I think this is the premise of the whole reason we created your first home by um, guide. And that is you don't know what you don't know. So you need to know how much money you need and all your purchasing costs. What are they? What are all the purchasing costs? Have you thought about the building and pest inspection, maybe an electrical inspection, perhaps a strata inspection, uh, records inspection? What do those things cost? How much will they add up to? It's not just about saving a 10% or a 20% deposit. Um, there, there are so many other things that you need to be aware of, uh, and it's really important that you know those things before you start your search. There's so also... You off and then realising you're 20 grand short. Or 10% or 20% of what? Like the reason that you know how much money you need is because you know what properties are selling for in the area. So you need to know what you're looking for and where you're looking for it so you know how much money you need for a deposit. So it's a bit chicken and the egg though, isn't it? Yeah, in- yeah. Look, chicken and eggs a good way of putting it. Um, it's it's which which do you do first? And I guess you need to know what your capacity is first. And that's why the course is actually step yes. by step. Start at step one. That's Move on to step exactly two. Exactly right. <laughs> These 10 things we're talking about today are not the same things as the 10 steps in the pay system. These are just 10 oh, things no, 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 no. that if you can just answer these, that- you know that you're pretty much ready to get out there. Number two, I understand when it's a good idea to pay lenders mortgage insurance. And, and the, the, this is a really interesting one, Veronica, because most people are told by uh, their colleagues at the water cooler or the Uber driver that, you know, make sure you don't pay lenders mortgage insurance. It's a waste of money. But in some circumstances, and this is why a good mortgage broker is so vitally important, in some circumstances, it is actually cheaper to pay lenders mortgage insurance than it is to keep saving a deposit. Now, you have to talk to someone who understands this, not someone who doesn't understand it and has formed a, an opinion or has a bias um, so, so really, really important. But there is a sweet spot where it may actually make sense to mm-hmm. pay lenders mortgage insurance rather than keep saving, particularly in a rapidly rising market where you might get outpaced. Your ability to save might be outpaced by the market growth. Exactly. So getting good advice is really important so that you know you know, rather than get to the end of all your savings or your hard-earned savings and realise you could have actually bought earlier, that would be bad. Yes. Number three. <laughs> or been in a slightly different price bracket. Yeah. Number three, I know that the mortgage with the lowest interest rate has limited features and why this matters to me. 
And that ties in with what you said earlier about getting the right advice mm. and having a really good mortgage broker, isn't it? Because it's it's someone on yeah. your team that advises you of this stuff. So you've got that advice before you get out there starting looking. The advertised interest rate, uh, advertised variable interest rate is not the rate you're going to pay. Uh, there's all sorts of other things that need to be bought in. And sometimes there is an advertised comparison rate or there should be an advertised comparison rate when you're comparing um, um, different lending institutions. But rate in and of itself should not be a defining factor in which institution you go with or which product you choose. There is so much more, so much more information. If you've got more money than you actually end up spending and you've got a lump sum sitting there, an offset account might actually be valuable. If you don't, then it might not be um, how you spend your money. When it comes in, is it monthly? Is it fortnightly? Can you pay more off and can you redraw? All these sorts of things are very, very unique to each individual person. And without a discussion with a mortgage broker to understand your unique situation, just focusing on the interest rate, all it's going to do is send you in the wrong direction and, and possibly end up with the wrong loan. And you're stuck with that loan for a period of time, particularly if you go with a fixed interest rate. The break yep. costs on something like that can be quite extraordinary. Yeah. I will add in here that these 10 questions that I'm asking, that things that you need to know before you, you know you're ready to buy, uh, they are contained in a quiz that we have on the website. So if you want <laughs> to know what these questions are, then go onto the website, find the quiz. It's, there's some links scattered throughout. Actually, the link will be in the show notes. You can actually go in and do the quiz yourself and find out how ready you are. Um, number four, I know that not all properties go up in value. This is a hard one. Oh, it's a very because, hard one. Oh, look, so many first-time buyers at the moment and, and even people who have only been in the market for maybe five or ten years, all they've really seen is up. They haven't Unless they been- bought a one-bedroom apartment in inner city Melbourne or Brisbane <laughs> uh, so, or even Sydney. <laughs> Sydney, yeah. yeah, in the wrong location. It's mm. true, it's true. Um, and some of those people don't want to be part of any survey that looks at whether that's actually happened to them. But you only realise that loss when you sell. Mm. So other than that, you're sitting on perhaps maybe negative equity, which could be risky, or you're sitting on an on-paper loss until mm. you actually realise um, that's that's our value. So it, it is important, and I think you always have to have your eye on that, you know, one eye on the prize, one eye on the, the risk and, and manage your risks to know, okay, well, what, do, what, what do I do if my property doesn't go up in value and I want to go to the next property at a certain point in time or I might go travelling overseas? And we, we remember um, we had a student who actually went through the course and realised that, that she had actually potentially put herself at great risk of buying because she had plans to not be in that property mm. for a long period of time. And had she actually bought when she thought she was going to and sold when she thought she was going to, she would have sold at a loss. Mm. But yeah. the decision not to buy was actually a really big one that she came to and it saved her an awful lot of money. And can I say that the majority of first home buyers can't answer this question, but they don't know it is a question that needs to be answered. And this is where I'm glad you're listening because this is a very, very, very important question that you should be able to answer. I know that not all properties go up in value. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> number five, <laughs> number five. I- Particularly if you choose the wrong asset. And we've, we harp on about asset selection all the time, but that's I guess that's key to that. Exactly right. Number five, I'm clear on what my living requirements will be in five years' time. 
Now that goes back to the example Megan was just talking about, which is, you know, a student, an early student who was like, oh, in five years time, I'm not going to be here. Like, mm-hmm. and some, for some people that will, they can buy a property that works as in will be a good investment and they can keep and rent out or whatever. And for other people, they're thinking, oh, I'm, I hopefully I'm going to couple up and have kids or other people, you know, they're going to move over, whatever, they, you know, they're going to have a life change. And of course we can't all hundred percent know what we're going to be doing in five years time. But I think that you need to sort of know where your life's heading because I mean, my first property, I've told this story on here before, but I bought a studio apartment. It's my first property, 36 square meters. Right. And then in that first year, I coupled up with someone and like, there was no way two people could live in there, you know, <laughs> no way in a million years. Recipe like, for disaster. We only lasted five and a half years together as a couple anyway. We definitely wouldn't have lasted that long if we'd tried to live in that apartment together. <laughs> maybe, it would have made, maybe being in something too small would actually short circuit that, you know. The, the, it would have been better yeah, in retrospect, yeah. I could have saved, you know, just that. I could probably save five years. I'm sure there were lots of great memories in that five years. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a long time anyway, ago now. <laughs> <laughs> but point, I mean, point being made is if, if, if don't just buy for your circumstances now and, and we talk about life stage, the right property for you now may not or the right sort of compromises for you now might not be the right sort of compromises for you in the future but if you are a couple and you are planning to have children then you need to have a very good long think about how long you're going to be in the property because the purchasing costs and the selling costs if you're going to divest it to as a part of a stepping stone strategy um if that family comes along you know within one or two years you might actually end up in negative position so having a, a bit of an eye on the prize not not too far ahead because if you're all single and you're thinking about kids going to school, then you might be a little bit too far down the track. Uh, so here's a good one. Keep it in context. I was, I was just thinking exactly that when you said that. I was talking to a guy who's in a relationship but it's not going really well. He really wants kids, right, and he's also gay. So, therefore, when he get has kids, they have the added complication of having to find mm a woman to gestate that child. So that just adds a level of complexity to it. But his relationship's not going that well. So let's face it, he doesn't even really know if he's going to be with this other guy and having kids with that guy, yet he was trying to buy a family home. And I'm like, mate, you're just so far ahead of yourself. You might be in a different relationship, let alone with kids, let alone, you know. So so he was looking yeah, and focus too on the far thing ahead. First rather than the property thing. Yeah, How about the relationship? <laughs> but that, he was looking yeah, far yeah, too yeah, far so, away. Yeah. So stick to five years. I think five to ten years is, is a good to have that, that horizon. Um, but you, it's got to be long enough, but not too long. Mm, yep. I guess number six, Veronica, we've talked about, I know how to work out the right price to pay. And we harp on about this over and over and over again because uh, you can get too tricky and keep missing out because you're under under pitching. Uh, or you could risk actually overpaying and ending up with some negative equity for a period of time. So getting making sure you are so well educated on this pricing piece if you can't answer that question if you can't if you can if you look at a property within the scope of what you've been looking at in the areas that you've been looking at and you can't price that within a reasonable sort of uh, range 
uh, just by looking at the pros and cons and 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 um, then it's time to do a little bit more research and get a bit ed- bit more educated because this is the big this is one of the big pieces due diligence is so important um, making sure it's the right property for you is so important P- paying the right price is so so important now these aren't in any set order either are you going to hit it with number seven yeah, I know when to engage a lawyer or a conveyance. So, Veronica, this is part of, for us, this is part of step one yep. in module one, <laughs> which is to build your support team. <laughs> Don't get but, this in the wrong order. <laughs> but you, you also got to know, so you know who you're using, but you also got to know when to get the contract to them, you know. So there's two different stages to that. So that's mm. um, very important, though, because you'd leave it too late and you could be agreeing to all sorts of conditions, particularly in Queensland and areas where you you actually negotiate conditional offers. Um, you could be agreeing to all sorts of conditions, or not even knowing, not, not, not even knowing realizing. that you need a condition. Mm. That's that's even more dangerous because the assumption that you can do any kind of due diligence after a contract is formed in a state like Queensland, uh, and I think Victoria is very similar. If you make a conditional offer in private treaty the assumption that you might be able to find something out and then pull out of the contract if you don't like what you found is erroneous. And and it's really important to make sure that before you sign a contract, not only are you not committing to anything that the other side is suggesting that you're not comfortable with, but you're making sure that the other side is committing to things that you need on the contract that make you feel comfortable. So that, that advice from a lawyer is just so vital at the right time and knowing when the right time is is having the conversation with the lawyer or the conveyancer well in advance of making an offer so you know when to go to them 100 percent. number eight and next um number eight i feel comfortable dealing with sales agents and i know which ones to trust well listen to last week's episode (laughs) (laughs) podcast last week about agents and they're not all shonks not all shots. You've got to have your radar on. You've got to have your radar on. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you just got to get used to talking to them. They are human beings, despite the fact some are a bit like robots, but, you know, <laughs> they, they well, are. script and dialogue and, yeah. and they know what works. And their job is to, I think, the thing that we, you know, really ran time last week in that episode was agents work for the sellers. Their job is to get the highest price for the property. You're a buyer. They'll be respectful, but actually it doesn't matter which buyer buys the property as long as they're the one that's going to pay the most amount of money. That is the key to understanding how to work with an agent. It doesn't matter whether they like you or not, It's that you, but you need to have that respectful interaction with them so that you can be involved in discussions that might be around, you know, what offers are on the table? How is the owner going to deal with this? What's their circumstances? Do they want a a long settlement or a short settlement? You know, these kinds of conversations can just bring up nuggets of gold that will help you in the negotiation. There's a small percentage of time when being liked by the agent does help, does make a difference. There's There's an odd time when the price isn't the most important thing and you just want to make sure that you're in the box seat if that is an opportunity. Totally agree. And and that can actually flow through to the seller as well. I've seen circumstances where buyers have been so arrogant and rude in a negotiation or an auction that the sellers actually refuse to sell to them, regardless of what price they were going to pay. So it is, it is, mind your manners. These are people. These are emotional transactions. It's true. 
And I've seen that too. <laughs> Absolutely, where a seller has dug their heels in and said, I'm not selling to that asshole. And fair enough, it's their choice. Mm-hmm. Their choice. All right, number nine. It is. It's their property. They can sell it for whatever they want to whomever. Very much so. Number nine. I know all the due diligence I need to do and <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> well, you haven't done it yet because, remember, this is about knowing that you're ready to get out there. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, this is the thing. Buyers think only, oh, okay, we just have to get the contract looked at. I need to do a building a pest. And I tell you what, there's we've done some some podcast episodes on due diligence. You should listen to them. If you haven't done the course, then at least listen to the podcast. And that's only the starting point, right? There is so much due diligence you need to do when you're buying a property. We're talking, you know, for the most, well, if you're buying in Sydney, for instance, or Melbourne even, I think the median house price is a million dollars or over a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Even if it's $500,000, it's a lot of money. And you need to make sure you do all the appropriate checks before you buy. And if you don't know what you need to do, then do not start looking. Learn what you need to do first. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Spend that time where you're not under pressure. You don't want to be learning these things when you're under pressure, particularly mm. under time pressure in, if, if you're in a rapidly rising market and you need to move so quickly. What you don't want to be doing is going, I, 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 uh, where... <laughs> <laughs> do uh um but have i do they have they provided you know it, it just assume that you might get some information depending on which state you're in you'll get a certain amount of information and we talk through this in in the course you'll get different levels of information victoria has the best seller disclosure but it's not complete new south wales has a good level of seller disclosure and that's what the seller tells you about the property Uh, but it's not complete. In Queensland, there is no seller disclosure apart from smoke alarms, pool safety certificate um, and any QCAT uh, disagreements over fences and and, uh, trees. Don't know why that was important to put on, but apparently it is. (laughs) So there are so many other things that you need to know and you need to know what you need to know and how to get that information, how to process it how to assess it in relation to the particular property and whether it has an impact on you or not uh, before you actually decide that you want to buy a property. Flooding is a classic and it's so front of mind. It's March 2022. We've just been through the most significant flood event since 2011. And it is not, if you haven't done your own flood research before you enter into contract to buy a property in Queensland, you actually can't terminate the contract if it is found to be flood affected after you've got a binding contract. Listen to that really, really carefully. They would Rewind be biased if you have to. Yeah, you there'd be buyers called out. Your due diligence before. Mm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's unfortunate, but it's reality. We will harp on this, and for absolute good reason. And. There's lots and lots of reasons why you need to know the due diligence you need to do. Megan's just giving you probably one of the best ones ever. But, like, apart from that, even if you get to settle on the property and it's not flood affected in between when you sign the contract and when you actually settle, quite often you can't insure it because the premiums are so ridiculously high. Now, this is just flooding. There are so many other things you need to check out when you're buying a property and a lot of first-time buyers do complain about the speed of the market, the, the speed of which they need to turn things around and make decisions. When you know the due diligence you need to do and you know where to get that information, you will feel a hell of a lot more confident moving quickly. 
And uh, until you know it, you're not really ready to buy. So that's why we labour, 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 point nine. And then over to you for number 10. Mm. Number 10, I am a confident negotiator even when I'm emotional. <laughs> How are you feeling after asking yourself that question? Are you ready to buy? That's a that's a that's a question that people probably find difficult to say yes to under the best of circumstances. But I think after you've covered off all other nine things in this list, you are going to be a hell of a lot more confident, even when you're emotional, because you will be emotional. And it's a matter of making sure that you have a solid grounding in understanding all the all the steps you need to take, all the information you need, the order in which to do it, and that confidence then actually means that you are going to be better at negotiating. You're going to have a much cooler head, even though you'll be emotional. Hmm. And it's and it's fine to be emotional. It's just actually making sure that your heart doesn't rule your head, that your heart helps you make a decision and then your head takes over and controls the process from that point forward. Because once you've made your decision around what price you're going to pay, that you've done all your due diligence, that it is the right property, then your head needs to be in control because it can be a frustrating thing to negotiate or to be a bidder at an auction. It can be, um, you know, egos can get involved and emotion if you've sort of mentally unpacked your children's toys in the bedrooms and you can see yourself living there it can be a very emotional time you need to make sure your head is in control during those times so number 10 you know all of these nine 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 things so far but the the tenth thing that you need to be able to answer before you start becoming a searcher in the property market is am i a confident negotiator because if the right property comes up tomorrow and you're in a rapidly moving market if you've been able to answer yes to all of those other nine questions and take the quiz see where you're up to if you can answer those questions but you can't answer question 10 then do a lot of work so that you're ready to move when that property is there otherwise you'll end up with a bit of heartache and a a bit of um, remorse about missing out on properties that perhaps could have been bought in your price range And if you can answer yes to all 10 of those, then you will be streets ahead of most other first home buyers out there. And in fact, even second and third home buyers out there. Now, remember the quiz link will be in the show notes. So if you want to do this quiz yourself and see how ready you are to buy, then, you know, jump onto the website and do the quiz. If you want to do the course, well, you can jump on the website and do the course too. And let me tell you, some people do that and they stretch it out over an 18-month period and they really spend the time embedding the knowledge and really, really learning deeply. And other people have actually subscribed to the course and turned it around and crammed it in two weeks and then bought the property. So there's, it's it works for all types. <laughs> In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.